Welcome to Bugs and Beards, the podcast home for everything fly fishing and fly tying. Kick back as we sit down and talk with some of your favorite fly tires and fishermen while we discuss with them the tips and techniques they've learned on the river and behind the vice so that you can use those lessons learned to make your time more effective. Welcome to Bugs and Beards podcast. This week we have a special guest, Mike Komara. Uh, he fishes on the Youth Fly Fishing USA team. I, I don't think I ever say that right. Fly Fishing uh, Team USA. U.S. Youth Fly Fishing Team. Oh, yeah. there you go. They're pretty close. Yeah. yeah. Close enough. We have Sean here. I'm here again. So this week we're going to talk a lot about um, Poland. Uh, that so- might sound off the cuff to a lot of people, but Mike and his team were just in Poland in August September. Yeah, August, uh, like beginning of August. They were there for the world championship. Um, and we're going to talk about how a lot of their tactics have changed just for that competition. Um, it's kind of like a regional thing. Um, and just talk about the competition in general and what they've learned from it and what you as listeners can learn from it. So, Sean, you have anything? Uh, no, let's get into talking about the team and all that kind of stuff so there's a lot of information i want to ask go ahead all right we'll get into it let's start out about the tournament um well and the team in general how many guys you got on the team uh on the team in total uh, i believe there's 16 this year um it ranges from like 15 to 16 on average uh and then we took six with us to poland six six goes to nash or to the worlds i mean yeah. yeah usually six sometimes seven um if it's a little bit closer colorado like most of the team went so it just depends on where it is right that's cool that's one of the things i was wondering how did uh how did you have to change tactics when you get there um it was uh it was a little weird so we were lucky enough to have uh our uh head coach calvin uh k-laws and the manager josh miller as well as the captain of last year holden price um they went over i believe it was in june um and so they actually got to fish everything that we were going to fish in the competition beforehand and uh we were were like waiting to hear back from them we were all kind of anxious to see what it was like and like didn't hear anything didn't hear anything and eventually i like i texted calvin i wanted to know what was up and he was just like it's so bad that we did not want (laughs) to discourage everybody (laughs) by telling you what it was like before you got there so uh, it was definitely up to that expectation when when we showed up uh we got there and the polish water authority uh the river we were fishing the son comes out of one of the biggest dams in eastern europe it's the drinking water for a lot of poland uh so it's a big lake the water authority decided to release a ton of water so a river that's usually ankle to knee deep uh was like mid chest to neck uh so the the practicing for the first four to five days we were there was just useless for for the actual competition because they ended up mm, a few days before i can't remember how many taking it back down to normal levels so it was just all around different than what we normally fish uh, the river itself is about 120 yards wide, so it's a big river, but it's 
flowing at about 12 and a half CFS at a high point. So it's just weird. It's, it's nothing like anything here in the U S the closest thing I could say is the South Holston. And that's not even really that close Hmm. because there's not as many fish. Were you catching grayling? Yeah. So we were fishing mainly for grayling. Um, the river has about 50-50 grayling brown trout, I would say, from my experience. Um, but the size limit for the competition was 25 centimeters. Oh. Yeah, they, they upped it. Um, I think that was smart for the Polish team uh, because they knew how to catch all the, 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 the bigger, bigger fish. fish. Yeah. But we didn't. Like it was, it was hard to figure out because there's hundreds of... 15 to 20 centimeter brown trout and grayling. You could go fish the river and have 150 fish day. Maybe nine of them would count. Wow. Uh, They, the uh, international organizers actually did that. I forget how many fish they caught. It was a high number. I think it was in the hundreds. And I think nine of the fish that they caught were scoreable. So they, they made that call after they fished it and did that. Yeah, they the study. they made the call uh, after they fished it. Uh, I'm not sure if the organizers knew that the size limit would be 25 centimeters when they fished it. Um, hmm. So that's it was crazy. Kind of their advantage; they don't have to score as much. Well, I mean, they could be scoring more if kids don't know and they're like trying things. Yeah, yeah. I, I can tell you if it was 20 centimeters. I would have won most of my sessions because I caught a lot of uh, a lot of fish and and ran the back that were literally 24 and a half, 24 and three quarters. And they don't round up. They don't round up. No, oh, that wow. has to be on the dot 25. So the f- fishing, like as far as the, the type of river, the type of fish we're fishing for, like the we were targeting the 25 centimeter grayling because there's not that many big brown trout above 20 centimeters. And there's not as many smaller grayling. Like, we didn't catch as many smaller grayling. So, like, the grayling were sitting right in the 25-centimeter range. So we would just find... You'd walk up the river. So it's 120 yards wide. The fishable width is probably 20 yards of that. It's like a trough in the middle, pretty much? Trough is a little bit of an overstatement. It it was mainly where it went from uh, ankle deep to calf deep or like calf deep to <laughs> that's crazy waist wow. deep. yeah all the entire river was pretty fine gravel or like silty so not much structure hmm just really pretty easy to wade then really easy to wade really easy to wade was um, was there much bug life in it or oh the bug life's insane oh wow yeah so it's good quality water it's just yeah the water quality is good uh, it's cold all year round. It's usually very, very stable. So any species of mayfly in Europe is pretty much right there in the sun. Hmm. Um, lot of like it's a tailwater. It's like a very tailwatery tailwater. So the closer you get to the dam, the better it is. The the more nutrients and stuff in the water. So started. Uh, 20 yards below the dam was the first beat and then it went all the way to a few miles below the dam so the further you went down the worse it the got. worse it got 
Um, but they didn't have all the sectors in that, right? Or they, or like one sector, the first beat didn't start at the dam, and then two miles down was the last beat. Is that how they no, did it? No, no. So there were there were five sectors, or I'm sorry, four sectors on the river. So it would go, the the first sector was the dam to 500 yards below the dam, however much they needed, and then another sector was below that, below that. So it was pretty fair. Yeah, it was. It, in all like honesty, it was very fair as far as the beats went because there were fish in all the beats, and if you could catch the fish, like you had a chance at winning. No single beat really would pull all the numbers for a session. Right. Mm. So they they did a good job on that front. Other things, not so much. Uh, there was a lot of trouble with controllers telling kids that their beats started in places they didn't, whether that was on purpose or language barrier. Not so, sure. like, in somebody else's beat? Um, just saying that, like, Joey, a kid on our team, his first session, I'm pretty sure, second session, he uh, asked his controller, where does the beat start? And the controller told him, like, it started somewhere. And he was like, where does it end? The controller, like, pointed up to where he said it ended. And then, like, halfway through his session, Joey, like, fished all his water. I think he had, like, three fish. And uh, he learned that he had, like, another 100 yards or something. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, maybe it wasn't 100 yards, but it was it was a decent amount of water that he still had to fish. Hmm. And he didn't really get to fish it well just because he was out of time. And that happened to multiple kids throughout the competition. Not just you guys, probably a lot more people. Um, I I know of it happening to one other person, and they did contest it, and they ended up, like, fishing the beat again. Uh, or the water that they didn't fish, something like that. They got, like, a second chance because it, it wasn't their fault. The controller Messed wouldn't it up. let them, like, pass a certain point. Right, right. So there was a lot of trouble with stuff like that. Logistically, it was like a nightmare. Uh, if they hadn't gone over early, it probably would have taken us five days just to find a place to get our licenses. Really? <laughs> the fly shop we ended up going to was like so far off the beaten path. Like this little town 20 minutes away, like inside of this weird building super tiny they had like cart fishing equipment it was like it wasn't a fly shop right so and it's like finding a fly shop in western michigan sure yeah in the middle of nowhere <laughs> nobody there yeah it was weird it was it was definitely an experience uh <laughs> as far as just food too food was awful you would think like like Everything Polish, like just yeah. cured meats, sausages, and that kind of stuff. You'd think a lot of uh, pig intestine. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. pig intestine was a big thing. Uh, like we found two restaurants that were good. The one we went to, like probably every day. The other one we went to a few times. Three of us got food poisoning from it. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> it was. It was interesting. Like, if you went to some of the, the bigger towns like Krakow, like the city, and uh, Selena, I think it was. like You'd find better food. Yeah, you'd yeah. find better food. And some of the food was, like, very good. Um, but in the we were in a very poor part of Poland. So it was a lot of just... Nothing. Yeah. 
Now, yeah. now, how is the water there? Like we, I, we were talking to, um, I think when we had Ray on, we were talking about Europe and stuff like that, and how a lot of the water was. Oh, you mean public. Pat? Pat, yeah, Pat too. But I think we said it in Ray's too. Um, a lot of the water was private, privately owned, and stuff like that. Oh and yeah, he said that about the the um, uh, the UK. Yeah, the UK. That's what I meant. Yeah. It, 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 how is it there? Is fishing accessible there, or? Um. So on the the sawn itself we had the licenses and i believe that you can access most of the river with just the the license that we bought um it wasn't too expensive i think there was one private section that we fished on it uh i'm not sure how private it was if it was just you had a, a little special permit or if it was actually private i can't remember and that's the closer to the dam section um we there's really nothing else in that area to fish at all uh the tailwater makes like the only fishery it's kind of like if you go to missouri or something right the tailwater is the fishery right so we didn't really run into any of that um slovenia the year before was like that every piece of water was owned by a different fishing club so you would have to get a different license for every different piece of water right so hmm yeah we actually when I went to Edison over the weekend, I was talking to our friends from Maxon, and they was saying about that going to England and to the UK and having to, anywhere they went fishing, they had to buy a permit to fish that area. So that's kind of why I was wondering, asking that question about Europe. and Yeah, yeah, that seems like how it is in a lot of the places. Um, Slovenia, I could like see that it... It was obviously a lot better. Everything was a lot cleaner there. There was no trash on the river, any of that. Um, but in Poland, there was. Um. Yeah, kind of. There was. It's it's not as like populous, like just the the area, um, and it's like such a big river and not a ton of people fishing it. So I don't think it would have the same problem. Um. Yeah, I can't remember seeing any like really trashy areas. Um the they do a pretty good job. Um as far as here though, like some of the streams I fish <laughs> around oh, yeah. here. Yeah, no doubt. You know, that's that's a different story. Yep. Um most of Europe is pretty good with their their like trash around the water, all that. Um that's good. At least that I've seen. So let's get back into the tactic talk. Um do you want to tell us about your sectors? Uh, and even how you practice for them and, and how you approach every different one? Yeah. So uh, so like I said, during practice, the, the first few days, the water was just way too high to get any real idea of uh, how we were fishing, like how we would fish in the competition. So we had the, the information from when the three went over beforehand. Um, and they had hired a guide, I believe, for two or three days. Uh, and he's a, a local competitor. He was very good. Um, and he showed them the the tactic that they use on the sawn. So usually, you know, when I or most of the the competitive anglers, you know, go someplace and someone says you need to use this tactic, you can only catch these fish on size 26 midges, anything like that, it's taken with a grain of salt. Usually. Yep. <laughs> Usually easily proven wrong. Um, but here it seemed that, like, 
it really was like you needed a fish this way or it wasn't going to work out. So the way that they ended up doing it uh, was basically to use a regular weight forward line on a, a 10 foot rod and a longer leader, just a tapered uh, regular leader down to like 6x and uh, about 8 feet of tippet from that. Jeez. Yeah, in some situations, 5 to 8 feet was like what I was using. Um, and then a tag, like where it attaches to the leader, and then at the end, so two flies. Um, and very light flies as well. So the water... Even in the deeper areas, the more riffly areas, the grayling seemed to look up. So we would fish like 1.5 millimeter beads to 2, mil- two millimeter beads on average. And uh, that would be more than enough to get it down to the point where the grayling would rise up and take it. So you would cast that 30 to 50 feet uh, in front of you. And then like just a little bit faster than the speed of the water, just pull it back. Um, just barely faster, like basically keeping up with the speed with the, just like little kind of jigs with, uh, with the line, which makes sense because they're looking up, they're looking for action. Yeah. Yeah. Bug action. You know, uh, like 50% of the time they would take it on a dead drift and then another 50% of the time it would be some sort of action, you know, one way or the other. Um, and it was it was a weird tactic. It doesn't sound too weird describing it, but it's that, that it would was be really different, weird. Yeah, it it's a way that I've never fished before that, or even thought of fishing, um, and I'll probably never fish using that tactic again. It's not really, it's a grayling tactic for sure. We caught trout on it, but more than anything else, the grayling, um, we don't really have that here, so not not a go to for me, but uh. The, the grayling would hit just incredibly fast, um, faster than Nanahala Nanahala Rainbows, twice really? as fast as Nanahala Rainbows. They would, they would hit it, you would see it, and you would set, and the grayling would already be sitting back where it was before it ate. It was really just insane. Um, I can't even describe how fast the takes were. And like the fast takes, they have a different mouth structure, smaller mouths, uh, just a lot of stuff combined to make... These graylings specifically just really hard to catch. Um, yeah, it are was grayling like that, like everywhere. Are they like that? Uh, I've never, I've never caught a grayling. I don't really know the answer to this. <laughs> I've only fished for grayling in Slovenia, um, other than than in Poland. Uh, actually, targeted them, and they were a lot easier in Slovenia, I would say, but they were also a lot bigger in Slovenia. And we were fishing to them with four mil beads with lead. Uh, oh. <laughs> rolling on the bottom in, like, some faster currents. Uh, or, if not that, just big flies, like, size eights. Like, totally different, like, tactics. That's 100%. Just 100% different. It's yeah. The, yeah. the opposite of each other. Well, And you think with a fish with a mouth on the bottom you know relatively on the bottom of it you would think it would be more of a bottom style feeder rather than looking up i i know they're big dry fly eaters too yeah. but you would think naturally they would be wanting to eat the bottom yeah. yeah yeah that's what i would think but i'll tell you i've never seen a fish as willing to take a dry fly is a grayling, a grayling. Yeah, that's really? what i've always heard yep especially sitting in 12 cfs like 
it was about the same for it to to take a fly from the surface as the bottom. That's um, true. Yeah, if it's only calf deep, that they're not moving far. Yeah. Yeah. I and to be honest, like thinking back on it, if I'd fished fished dry flies through most of my sessions, I probably would have come out a lot better. Bigger fish. Bigger fish, just more fish and the the technique that I that I described it was hard to set the hook because you're fishing far away. You're fishing a lot of tippet. You're fishing really light flies, and they're just they're eating it fast. You're watching for that line to shoot forward. That's your strike indicator. Yeah. So by the time all that happens, it it's not as fast as the reaction is with the dry. Um, how do you set? How do you properly hook set that? Like just a dry fly hook set, or does the <laughs> line set itself? Kind of because you have so much out. Um. The line definitely did not set itself, uh, like that's especially when they're that fast. Yeah, the the way we were like stripping it in just a little bit, sometimes they would hook themselves, um, but usually it would take a pretty decent set, like a strip set and a full arm, just to straighten all that line and get them in. Yeah, but we the the goal of the tactic is just to keep the line straight. So as soon as I would cast. I would raise the rod tip, uh, like fully extend my arm, and then strip all that slack in, so that it was as tight as it could possibly be. So that's that's what. So you were standing like directly downstream of them. Directly downstream. Yep. Okay. Uh, a lot of people like said swinging flies. A lot of the the locals swung flies, but the only thing that would really eat like a, a swung presentation was the brown trout. Right. And usually they wouldn't score. So. It it was it was tricky to figure out, especially we didn't have time to practice it, with the water being so high. With the water high, they didn't want to eat that uh, that type right. of presentation. That's but deep. That's a huge difference. What do those fish do when that happened? Like <laughs> I'm sure the fish were just as confused as we were. Yeah. Um, the the first day we fished, we did not catch a fish because it was just so unreal. It was yeah. It was so different. Like. We didn't know what to do. I think Calvin, our coach, hooked a fish, and uh, like that was the, <laughs> well, the story of the day. Totally displaced the fish. For, uh, I'm just thinking of fishing the tailwater that I fish at our local lake here, and we tore up the smallmouth, and then we had all that flooding. They had to let the dam loose, and it widened the river considerably. And free fish real were in estate. completely different areas, and it was yeah. And it's from what estate. he's saying, yeah, free real estate. <laughs> <laughs> but from what you're saying, that puts fish in the they're, whole river down instead of the trough. They're down them on. We <laughs> we had a, a joke in Pittsburgh that there's a local stock stream when I lived there. Um, <laughs> we would uh, after a, a big flood or something, or just a, a high water event, uh, the locals would say. They're down them on. It, it flowed into the Monongahela, and they, they say they're down them on. So every time that something happens like that, we always say that all the fish are down them on, which actually doesn't happen. Right. But they do. <laughs> they do get free real estate and oh, yeah. just spread out. So they probably spread out like crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's what I figured. Um, it seemed like they just stayed in the trough uh, that they were originally in, and they just didn't want to eat, and the trough was like above my head at that point Mm. she so it was it was just 
hard to fish for them. It didn't really make sense to even fish just because it, it wasn't, wasn't going to be like that. It right? wasn't going to be like that at all. Right. So. And sometimes it really be like that. Uh, they don't think it'd be like a bee, but it do. <laughs> <laughs> There's our younger listeners right there. <laughs> oh, boy. But so. yeah, I mean, that's like. Was it slick water whenever, like, it was that high? Oh, yeah. It's the only really structure is just the weed beds. Um, so there, there is a lot of weed beds, uh, just like any tailwater at South Holston. Right. Um, so the, the fish would kind of, like, sit behind those or sit in those, you know, just like it was a rock or tree stump. But then when the water lowered, those weed beds were out of the trough. Right. So they wouldn't really take take cover in them but uh so so for the first couple days um we just kind of got our bearings of like the town we we went and looked at some of the water which didn't really help either because it was still so high but uh found some different places to practice and kind of made the best of it they did actually there's a they called the estuary and it's the the stream that comes out of the original dam, I believe. There's two two dams kind of. So above the other lake? So it's below the lake, but it comes out of somewhere else. I, I didn't really Interesting. Understand. I don't really remember what it was. But basically it's the river before it gets the majority of the water. Kind of like the Nanahala. Interesting, yeah. Um, yeah. They they put water in, but there's still some of the river above it. Um so we they Never open it. It's always closed year-round. You can't buy permits to fish it. Uh, but they opened it to us for practice. Interesting. Um, it was nothing at all like the actual river. We were having 100 fish days, catching like decently-sized grayling uh, from a stream that's probably the size of like the Spring Creek, I guess. That's a huge difference. Yeah, huge difference. Spring Creek versus... 120 yard wide river that's it deep yeah yeah and it was it was fun and it kind of helped us practice the technique but not really what we needed for practice right um maybe some confidence boosters nonetheless yeah it was it was a confidence booster um definitely like for some of the kids on the team that went that year they never caught a grayling right Uh, so it was good to to just get that um, experience and then other than that the the practice was pretty sad <laughs> you, had to, you had a lake didn't you we did have a lake uh, we went and looked at the lake we did not practice on the lake um, and they stocked the lake a few days before the competition uh, right at the bridge uh, so all the fish were caught pretty much right at the bridge <laughs> those One, were pretty low number sessions weren't they yeah, the the lake was definitely, uh, it was weird, so it works. I know there's a, a similar type of uh, situation somewhere in North Carolina, but it's basically an intermediary reservoir. Um, so they release water from the big dam. It ends up in this reservoir, and then it goes from the reservoir into the river. So it was a lake, but it actually had a pretty strong current to it. Oh. Yeah. So when they would suck up water to uh, prime the generators it would flow backwards like the speed of the lower nanahela and then when they would release water it would flow forwards the speed of the lower nanahela 
they did they turned the generators off uh, for most of the sessions, but there's still current to it. Um, no drogues uh, like we would normally fish. Uh, just all motors and oars. Um, really? Yeah, it was. So with that current, weird. you had to. But you're not. What if the current was against the wind? So you're just, just cruising. Yeah, it didn't. There was no no windsock, no wind like rules. You just had to, both oh. be facing on the same side, uh, both competitors facing on the same side, and you couldn't switch sides like halfway through. Um, and you had a controller in the boat with you that would control the motor um, to the boat and then use the oar to keep it facing the same direction. So it was it was an odd situation, um, for sure. That's weird. Yeah. I started started the session. Uh, I, orange blob and a peach bugger went up all the way to the corner. We were the second boat to get there, so we got a good place. I was with uh, a kid from South Africa. Uh, I forget his name. But first cast, it wasn't even a cast, just uh, like put it in the water to get line out. Two fish <laughs> ate the flies. Oh. Like I, I watched them. Two two nice stalker rainbows. Uh, I landed one, and then I didn't touch a fish for the rest of the session until the last five minutes and ran back up to the same spot. Uh, made like two casts. The clock was literally like running out. And then got a like barely scorable brown on the last cast. Huh. Yeah. What was I mean? Were there any crazy numbers, or was that pretty good? Uh, the Polish kid uh, in my group caught nine, and the Czech kid caught seven. I had two. My boat partner had two. A few twos. Um, I think that someone caught four, but it it was all fairly low numbers. All the high numbers came from right where they stalked it at the the bridge. Yeah. So not not really anything to write home about on the lake. We we never really figured it out as a team. Um, it really just got worse as the sessions went on. Because there were less like yeah. Eventually, I think the last session the the winner had two um, holding yeah. <laughs> holding from our That's team. That's right. Yeah, caught a pike. That was his fish. They the scored session. it. Yeah, they score they scored pike in the lake too. Oh nice. Yeah. That's new. Yeah, they they do it a lot overseas. Um, like the the rough fish, you know, in Slovenia, I I forget what they scored, but on the lake barbel, they had barbel in the stream in Slovenia. Barbel, I remember yeah. that? Yeah, uh, I think I can't remember if a pike scored on the lake in Slovenia or not. Hmm. But that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I guess if you could target them, if you know where they are, why not? Right. Yeah. There's more pike in that lake than trout. <laughs> How did you prepare? I, I know for us, like here in America, if we're planning on a trip going out west, we're researching what's going to be coming off, what, you know, calling guides out there. This is kind of a two-part question. One, how did you prepare? And two, how different was your fly box going over there than it is back here? Uh, yeah, so preparing, we had the, the three guys go over, and that was the majority of our information. Um I watched all the videos that were on YouTube, kind of tried to understand it, but until you actually get over there and see what a 120-yard wide river with 12 CFS is, like you can't really understand what it is from pictures and videos. It's really hard to relate to. I don't think we have anything like that. No, there's there's nothing like it. I've never seen anything like it anywhere else. Um, 
So we were relying pretty much solely on the information they brought back. Um, and as far as like the fly boxes, it was just a lot of 16 to 20 uh, really light flies, a lot of quill bodies. Were soft tackles, right? I think I saw some of those. Um, not really any soft tackles. We used kind of like a gill nymph, um, which is basically ours was just a, a hair's ear waltz worm type pattern uh, brushed out, and then the top and bottom were trimmed. So, so like a like Ray Charles? Gill. Yeah, similar to that. Hmm. Um, yeah, uh, quill bodies that, f- small pheasant tails, um, and then squirmies. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> In that real light ones? Uh, yeah, like two to three millimeter beads. Hmm. Uh, and that's basically my entire fly box, what it looked like. Just some variations of that stuff. Um, other confidence patterns. And I, I think I had like five or six hundred flies, specifically for Poland, when we left. Um, wow. Yeah, that was that was a, a rough two weeks. <laughs> so while you were there, you tied that many? No, that's the two weeks before I left. Prepare. Oh, yeah. did you I use, use all any of them? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we u- I used a lot of them. Um, all, usually when you go overseas to, like, international competition, uh, the flies you use are flies you end up tying there. Right. You know, just, like, tweaked different bead sizes. You lose what you have in practice all that so ended up doing that um all on really light wire hooks so the there was not really any structure the bottom was pretty even the fish were pretty small so the the light wire helped to uh hook the you know the softer mouth grayling Hmm. um so hannock 130s or 100s stuff like that that's Um, interesting yeah yeah that's out I guess you answered my question, but what I was thinking was like when I went out west before, we did you know a whole bunch of research, and then another something you said earlier about the locals and saying, "Oh, this is what you have to have, and this is what works fishing the size twenties." And uh, I, it was funny when I went out west earlier. I had this image in my head of what I was gonna tie and what I was gonna take out there. And then I got out there and I fished what I fished back here and it worked just as well. And then also, like you said, the locals told you, you know, you got to fish the size 20s and that kind of stuff. Well, that's what we were told when we went out west. We were fishing um, in Colorado and everybody, all the fly shops was like, oh, size 20, 24 midges, zebra midges. You got to be little. You got to be little. I was out there swinging big articulated double bunny leeches and just tearing up monster cutthroat. And the guys around us were, all the guides were fishing the 2024s, San Juan Shuffle in it, pulling out a whole bunch of trout, but they were all little dinks and stuff like that. So I think that's kind of what I wanted the, our listeners to hear was no matter where you go, it's the same stuff, just maybe a different color or something like that. A different not, weights. Yeah, different sizes. Weights. Yeah, it was... A lot of similar stuff to what we used here. The gill nymph was something that um, definitely was a, an over there thing. I haven't used it much since we got back, um, and I I never used one before. Uh, other than that, all just the same stuff, different weights, some different colors, uh, 
different hooks. The hooks was the big thing um, for me. Like I didn't have that many many nymphs tied on light wire hooks, mm. so I I tied a lot of that before. Um, but other than that, the the patterns were pretty much the same. Dry flies were all the same as what I would fish here, um, and we did have a a dry fly only session, which was a first for me personally. I'd never fished one, but dry flies are, are like a personal like strength it's what i what i fish a lot it's what i enjoy to fish so that was uh that was a good time for me at least <laughs> i heard that beforehand i remember i think somebody was telling saying talking about i think it was holden that was talking about it and he said that the the dry fly uh the dry fly dry fly session was on like better water than the other sessions Oh yeah, the the dry fly session was probably on the best water in the river, in my opinion. Um, it was the the most like featured water. It was the best like distance from the dam, um, and it had the most fish by far. That's the the water that I think was the private water. Um, they called it super hard <laughs> because fishing it was super hard. Was it? Uh, my, my experience with it was not as bad as some others. Um, but there were certain beats that were just like chest deep the entire time and like super wide, extremely flat and to like fish rising everywhere. But to fish for those fish, you had to really finesse it. So that's why they would say it was hmm. like the hardest section. So that's that's a big difference than the rest of the beats because you, they're 120 wi- yards wide but ankle deep. That's yeah, a huge it was, difference. It was uh I don't I didn't personally see like those beats um maybe chest is a little too much but they were definitely deeper and and just super flat was just the main point just incredibly flat fish everywhere but if you cast like they all spook yeah that's what i was going to ask you uh if you did cast back to just kind of derailing a little bit going back to your tactic of of throwing that long leader 30 to 50 feet that's pretty long that's pretty far (coughs) did you spook a lot of fish do you know i mean i mean no and yes depending on like where and like if people had been through just a bunch of different factors overall the fish weren't that spooky um the river itself sees like a decent amount of pressure so like they're kind of used to people uh, in some of the spots and then the grayling just didn't seem to be that spooky in general um so that wasn't really a problem until you got to like the super flat water where they're rising stuff like that than it would be but uh you know just overall it, it wasn't as spooky as what you think huh. what i expected when yeah I got there. yeah you would expect you know something that's ankle deep <clears throat> that you're just kind of it's probably crystal clear too oh yeah mm. yeah extremely clear you'd think that would be spooky yeah yeah not not as much as i expected some places were more than i expected but even in the my beats like the closest to the dam like you could walk up to within like 10 feet of a fish and it would continue to feed 
Hmm. Yeah. You don't really see that much. Continuing to feed. I mean, you could walk up on something, but like to have it happen a lot. Yeah, I had in my like highest beat, um, it, there was like a, a flatter section uh, where most of the fish were. And you could see them. There were fish rising all the way through it. Um, and I, I walked up to the tail of it uh, and saw two fish like actively feeding, like actively rising. I'm sure they saw me because <laughs> I, w- I wasn't very, very secretive about it. And they just kept on feeding. I didn't catch either of them, but they were eating something. Hmm. That's really neat. What'd you guys, uh, what'd you guys learn to bring back here? That's like, that's really what's crazy to me is you fish these different places. Um, like for example, when I fished the Nanahala for the first time, the lower Nanahala, which to listeners that don't know about the lower Nanahala, I don't even know if I'm allowed to talk about it. It's pretty popular, right? Like, yeah, it's popular. yeah okay. I could talk about it then. Uh, it was, uh, Mason Sims, one of the, one of the guys on, uh, team USA took me, uh, just to, just to fish cause it was uh, youth nationals at the time. And I was chaperoning, um, the craziest thing happened. They're just the rainbow trout. They're insane there. I've never, I've, I couldn't tell you how many rainbow trout I caught in my life and none of them wild ones or anything are like that. Yeah. Like for sure in like anything. And like, I don't know what I learned from that, how to fish for those (laughs) specific fish. Because if I set my hook that fast on any other fish, it's out. You know what I mean? So like, what did you guys, can you bring anything back from that? Other Uh, than like all of your good experiences, obviously. Yeah, the the biggest thing I learned from going to Poland was not to go back anytime soon. <laughs> um, but no, you you always learn something from international competitions. Uh, I learned a lot just about competing in general. Um, you know, some of the the stuff I brought back from that. As far as tactics go, I can tell you I'm probably not using <laughs> the the long line nymphing as we called it anytime soon. Um, you know, I there's places where it could be effective. Holden likes it enough that he uses it. He sometimes. does. I saw him do it at a yeah. competition before yeah. you guys even went out there. Yeah. Yeah, and he catches fish on it. Um, I don't think it's that effective here, just because our fish don't behave the same. The rivers aren't the same. Um, like for actively rising fish, fish that are like up in the column, maybe. Yeah. But generally, like I don't think I'd bring any of that back. Um, some, we, we did learn some dry fly, uh, techniques, mainly just like a, a cross stream dry fly fishing instead of upstream. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I have used that since we got back, done a little bit of that. Um, just the, the small flies, really light tippets, um, and how to, how to protect that. Are you far from those when you're doing that technique? Far? Or like casting far with those techniques? Um, the cross stream. Not really, uh, within 20 feet usually. Okay. I was going to say, cause that's a lot of line to pick up across the stream if you have to. Yeah. Yeah. Usually pretty close. Um, most of, most of the fishing I do is within 20 feet, um, dry fly wise. Yeah. Because otherwise that's, that's yeah. too far. You yeah. Need to get it's closer. Not, not worth it. You need to get you closer. Need, you need to wade. Yeah. yeah. That's what a lot of people uh, it's just funny to me because a lot of people think that you need to cast really far for stuff. And like literally the only time that you need to cast far 
as if you're on a lake. Yeah, I agree. I mean, for for my dry fly only session, um, like it was the the hardest part supposedly. the The fish were supposed to be very spooky, and I think I I caught seven fish. Um, I think they got me like a three in the session, and the next highest was like also seven fish, uh, or eight fish, and I was not casting anything more than pretty much my leader the entire time yeah so barely 20 feet um of casting i was standing like over the fish pretty much uh and you were just using your nymph leader for that or you were using I was, your long line long i was line? using uh we were using v- uh very Voss leaders um it's it's a hook company i think it's european um and it's just and a tapered leader, pretty much. It's, yeah, it's just a factory tapered leader. Uh, it's a little bit more digressive than a lot of like the American companies, so it kind of sits more gently on the water. And then that I think that was twelve feet, and then I was using five to seven feet of tippet, uh, fishing eight x the entire time. Dang! Wow. Yeah. Um, the the fish they weren't spooky, but they definitely saw drag, and if there was any drag at all. You were out of the game. So could probably have gotten away with 7X, but the the 8X makes it so much easier to get a, a clean drift. Yeah. Mm. Um, fishing downstream a lot across and then drifting down was the the biggest, like, or the, the easiest way to get a good drift to the fish. So they wouldn't see the line one. You're letting line out instead of fishing like upstream and across over them yeah yeah just uh um laying it down with a little bit of wave no so we would we'd either cast like directly across and just fish straight across and let it drift um to a little bit below or make it just a, a big like pile cast and then just let that drift below uh, never too far. Like the the furthest drift is again probably like twenty feet. Yeah. Um, you just don't want to lose control. Yeah. The drift. Yeah. 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 And it's the the grayling are like hard to set on, especially downstream. Just the way their mouth is is made. I can only imagine. When, That'd be weird. When they when they rise, um, their mouth is basically perpendicular to the surface of the water. Uh, it's it's hard to imagine, but the opening of their mouth is like straight perpendicular to the water so if you set upstream the the fly never even touches their mouth so you have to set kind of across in a weird angle to to get it to stick if you're fishing like downstream or across you'd be pulling it straight out of their mouth yeah yeah that's a huge that's just crazy like yeah that is learning that stuff on the fly is what like what separates a lot of people from i mean that's what you have to do in competition so an, a, a thing to learn, and I always tell people this, is because you have to learn things so quickly. Like, we don't have grayling here. You're not used to that. You're yeah. catching trout. You're catching brown trout that eat for, like, eight minutes. <laughs> yeah. They they do rise pretty slow. Uh, so I did have a few where I just set too fast. Right. Ripped it out of their mouth. Um, to ex- excitement yeah. sets. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, fishing, I can see the, the Polish kid above me running fish after fish back. He yeah. he caught like sixteen. Um of course. He had he had some good water, but I you know, I had the same opportunity at least. 
and just the nerves got me like i think i missed five fish in the in the last 15 minutes hmm. so that's crazy that would be that would be really fun dry fly only would be a blast it it mm-hmm. is i it's my favorite um i'm looking at setting up a dry fly only mini uh in march i think it is uh on this spring march. creek yeah this march on spring creek so if anyone's interested the the permits are submitted so we need to get those back because we have a mi- we have a mini on spring in march anyway you know that right uh yeah it's march 2nd is our yeah, mini. it's the weekend after that interesting that's when the permits are in for two weekends in a row man yeah. i don't know <laughs> that's a good one i'd be into that yeah do you have uh anything else you want to add about poland um you know there <laughs> there's not too much like it was so bad like i don't even have any pictures I like <laughs> <laughs> i have i have four pictures i went to a different country i didn't take a single like actual photo they're all just fish um just i don't think people realize like how shitty it is <laughs> to to go try and fish in a foreign country where they are doing their best to kind of mess with your mind right but it's or just how good we have it or yeah especially yeah. how good we have it here <laughs> i'd i'd rather fish the worst place in the country than Poland again that's but, that's saying something. Wow. That's yeah. really saying something. Yeah. I mean, it's always fun to travel overseas and fish, you know, in a big competition like that. But just when it's a logistical nightmare like it was and on water like that, that, it, you know, it just takes kind of a toll. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. That's n- there's no structure. There's... I mean, just looking at that is daunting. It has to be daunting. Just looking at that water and just knowing, like, like when here, here you see a rock in the middle. You're like, okay, there's a fish behind that rock. Yep. Or, you know, you have pocket water and you're like, I know where these seams are. I know where these fish are. I know. But there it's like yeah. 120 yards wide. Yeah. It. Uh, there you look at it, you see a rock and, you know. It's an inch deep behind it. (laughs) (laughs) So there's no fish there. And then the the practice water that we had to fish was uh, just nothing like the actual water. Um, The actual water for the competition was a lot better than the practice water uh, in general. So practicing, we were really kind of feeling bad, (laughs) like going into it. And then the, the water they had us on was okay. It would be like marginal water here. It had a lot of fish, but they're just they they're very picky, you know, like for drag, all that stuff. And then a lot of them aren't big enough. Right. So hmm. So how did you guys finish as a team and individually and um individually I think I was seventeenth. Um which is worse than two years ago. I'm hoping to turn that around this year. As a team, we definitely didn't do as well as we wanted to. Uh, Holden did very well. Um, you got fourth or fifth? 
I can't remember. I think he got fifth. Something like that. Um, yeah. He did. He did very well. Yeah, he really did. Uh, all th- all throughout. Um, and then, uh, as far as everyone else goes, like everyone did outstanding. You know, as well as we could have done, given <laughs> the conditions that we were given. Um, and we we all learned a lot. There was a big turnover, you know, from two years ago. A lot of new kids. Um, so it was it was just getting used to it. Right. But I think we we did very well, you know, given what we were given, um, and we we pulled fifth, which isn't what we wanted, but it was still respectable. Still good. Yeah. Very yeah. respectable. How many countries was there? It's like 22 or something like that, wasn't it? Mm, for the men's, it's 22. Okay. For the youth, there's not that many. Uh, I want to say 13. Okay. Th- that might be a little high. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. Sounds about right. Yeah. Sounds I think I think there was something like that. Hmm. That's, that's, I mean, you guys did really well. I mean, those other guys fish in Europe. And from what I hear from a lot of different people, it's, they have to like figure things out differently because they don't have it as good as we do. Like we think, you know, some of our streams are are not good. And then you go out there and they're just not good either. Like very (laughs) not good. So they, they they're like, it's, it's bred out of necessity. Like what they do. Combine that with the fact, like here we sit in Holsinger's fly shop and the walls are covered with material. We have access to everything we want. Yeah. Those guys don't. So yeah, so I would say some probably do. Like you yeah. have your Hannock and and those kind of deals. I don't yeah, really know. There's some, but you know how the cost of it, the cost to get it into your area, different things yeah. like that. It would be tough in a lot of those European countries to have, you know, the materials we have and that kind of stuff. So it yeah. would be very tough for them. So they would have to learn to adapt to. Yeah. Yeah, I can tell you the the fly shop we walked into in Poland. Um, they had maybe one panel of one of these walls of actual material. So it was a lot, a lot less than, yeah. than what's yeah. here. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming out, man. This is great. Yeah, of course. I had a good time. Thanks for, uh, giving me an interview. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. no problem. I'm sure we'll have you back after next round and yeah. Yeah. Or even before. Right. You're going over to practice, right? Uh, hopefully, hopefully we're looking at going over sometime in May. Oh Um, yeah. May, May or, uh, whatever comes after May. June, June, June. You you okay? (laughs) (laughs) He's an engineering student. Well, kind of material sciences student, ladies and gentlemen. And where is it again? Your gown? Uh, we're going to go to the Czech Republic, Republic. um, the Vltava river probably pronounced that terribly but it sounded exotic. Yeah, it did. Something something like that. You can know. tell us anything. You could double check. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it should be a lot better um, logistically and fishing-wise. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Good. Well, I, like, like Nick said, I'm sure we'll have you back on for that show. And uh, if you want to reach out to you, is there any way to reach out to you, social media or anything like that? Yeah, if you want to follow me on uh Instagram. My Instagram is Mike Kamara FF. Um, that's for fly fishing. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, you can reach out to me there. Uh, and I am a guide for American Standard Fly Fishing Guides. It's a new outfit uh, in PA. Uh, and if you want to book a trip with me, you can go ahead onto their website and give Ben a call. Sounds good. Anything you got to add? That's it. Thanks for coming out. All Appreciate right. it. Yep, thanks for thanks for hanging out with us for the evening and look forward to having you back. Cool. Thank you guys. All right. See you next week, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bugs and Beard Podcast. This podcast was brought to you in part by HolesingersFlyShop.com and Trotted Goods. We truly appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to our show. If you enjoyed the show, please take a second to smash the like button and subscribe to us. You can find our show on popular podcast apps like Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and iTunes. Until next time, keep your tip up and tight lines. <laughs>